0: Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined by AJ Lawrence. He is the host of Beyond 8 Figures podcast. He is an agency owner or certainly a recovering agency owner. He also does advisory into uh, agencies and growing bigger businesses, but also he's now, which we're going to talk about on the podcast, acquiring another agency that he's set to uh, grow. One of AJ's Secret Sources is offshoring, outsourcing. He was a relatively early adopter back in 2006, and he's been enamored with it, obviously, ever since. He's really doubled down on this whole thing called offshoring, outsourcing, and I believe he refers to it as global talent, which is, for him, a game changer. And he's advising other clients, other companies to also embrace it. So it's really interesting to hear from AJ, his journey with outsourcing with his own firms, with his future firm that he's acquiring, and also with his consultancy. It was a great conversation. I certainly enjoyed it, and hopefully you do too, and also find value in it. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to OutsourceAccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and, of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, If you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. AJ, so you're a little bit left of center for our audience. You have been an agency owner. I'm going to get you to introduce yourself but effectively an avid user of outsourcing, which really interests me, and you're yeah. actually looking to leverage um, not only your consultancy, but also a future acquisition with exactly that methodology with offshoring. So, happy, very happy to have you on the show and explore exactly what your journey with outsourcing. So, welcome. AJ, I suppose initially, do you want to just give us a rundown? How did all this sure. begin for you?
1: I've been playing digital space since the 80s, but getting paid at least from the early 90s. And I went through the first early waves of the web, the crazy dot-com boom, the dot-com crash. I built and sold a few development and marketing agencies in the early phases, made every stupid mistake on the planet. And then back in 2006, I had started a new agency, which was my last agency that I sold called the Jar Group. And that was where I really started using consistently, mostly through Upwork style, but a lot, of, a lot of the back office roles for the agency. We were hiring talent from India, from the Philippines. You know, we were using it and starting to integrate it more into what our work was for a lot of the large companies we served. Got it.
0: Yeah. And that, that's fairly early, isn't it? I remember I started outsourcing for the first time in about 2011. It was still pretty pretty early, pretty cutting edge, pretty gritty. You started kind of around like 2006, seven.
1: Probably. I mean, we probably had some people, but anything beyond more like super basic was about 2007. But what the interesting thing was, we really were looking at more as a very tactical execution. Like, oh, we need X to be done. And that was how we were looking at a lot of the talent that we were seeing globally. And I think it was only with time that we started really working with people that we integrated more into our workflow, into what we were actually trying to do, so we could have them be part of the team. But at first, it was very tactical, like, okay, we need X done. Let's find someone who can... Right, so you
0: almost had contractors, subcontractors, or maybe many agencies that focused on doing one thing specifically and you kind of subcontracted your work to them.
1: Yeah, very early. I mean, over time, we did develop. And then after I sold the firm, I kind of jokingly went into the wild and went into a bunch of business groups that were very, very much that sort of ranging from the four-hour workweek wannabes to some very sophisticated global companies with just non-located companies, companies that were fully remote. And that's when I started really thinking, oh, there's something a little more fun here. And my light consulting that I've been doing since I sold 10 years ago to then acquiring the podcast I have, Beyond Eight Figures, back during COVID, my team is completely global. Good amount of Europeans, but we have South Africans, we have people in Mexico, Ecuador, we had Ukraine for a while, but now our Ukrainians are in Czechoslovakia, or sorry, Czech Republic. I really did date myself there. And yeah, I mean, it's been fun watching talent that used to be considered in that sort of more niche way. They've gotten the experience and their capabilities have risen so quickly and so fast that. They're on par if not higher in some areas than the talent I'm going to find in New York or other areas.
0: Have you always been an early adopter? You, know, you said you were sort of at it from the 80s, 90s, and I think kind of certain people of certain industries are fundamentally just earlier adopters of things. People in the tech industries have always been in sort of forums and sort of seen things internationally, haven't they? So has it always just been natural progression for you? Because as you said, we were talking before the podcast, to us it's completely normal and there's yeah. no surprises there in terms of hiring people globally now but to many other businesses it's still like recommending they hire a martian like it's still very foreign to people
1: it is funny because yes i have always kind of enjoyed the phrase the future is already here it's just unevenly distributed it's just i kind of yeah you know, the internet itself lends it to non-physically located communication Yeah, you know, that idea like You can have amazing communication with anyone, anywhere, as long as they're connected. And what you can do is pretty much most of us, not everyone, but most white collar work for a long time has been pretty much Yeah, There's no real need for physical co-location for most white collar style jobs. So yeah, I think looking at it, it's just more, it makes sense. Wherever the best talent is, that's where the best talent is.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, and I'm a little bit torn. I am, I feel that people get better work done in an office. And I don't know if I'm not a boomer, but whether I'm sort of just boomer context of, you know, oh my God, like you've got to kind of get used to the new norms. But I really do feel that people work better in an office. It's better for the formative years of younger professionals and the Gen Zs coming up. What are they going to model themselves on if they're sort of working from their laptop on their bed while they watch Netflix? There's a lot of difficulties, isn't there? I think there's a lot of uncertainties. But certainly the opportunity for global employment is just phenomenal. And whether you do that, you know, in sort of hubs around the world, whether you have them go into offices is I'm certainly the jury's out in terms of what is the best way of running teams. But certainly you don't want to turn your back on the global employment opportunity.
1: I mean, you do bring up a lot of good things. And a lot of this right now is that we're in a transition phase, and technology is accelerating a lot of these transition phases, so one one after the other and faster and faster. But right now, you can find people who've had years of being in an office in a local area, some company that's been doing good work within their local, I hired one a couple of years ago. I had an amazing strategist. She worked for a teeny, not teeny for Albania, but an Albanian marketing strategy firm. And they were big for Albania, but their turnover was maybe half a million. And that was big for them, for where their market was. Mm -hmm. Taking what she learned from that and then putting her into clients who had larger problems, bigger issues... And giving her the tools and the team that had more familiarity, maybe with the larger environment, but not maybe her skill, that allowed her to really excel. And we got, yeah, we were able to do great work and create lots of value for the client. So, yeah, I do think in that longer term, yes, you do have to figure out how you're going to develop your talent. And I do see, you know, having listened to your podcast and looked at a lot of the other, but looked at BPO firms, the ability to kind of embed entire teams is an interesting concept i really think there's going to be some po- yeah you know, some interesting things that come out of that so like yeah. a company that basically develops the capabilities of people but a specific team actually works for company y while in sense they're being trained and whatever but company z in their local area that looks really cool i know someone doing some great work in that for video production teams everything from a creative director all the way down to the basic editing in pakistan where they're put in teams they work for companies in the u.s but they're part of this pakistani company and it's mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. what they can do but yeah that's it, a good it is question. incredible how do you develop the talent
0: yeah yeah and you know outsourcing i i tell this to client calls outsourcing is a massive umbrella term and it really it denotes sort of offshore employment. And employment is a huge umbrella term for for America or wherever you're sitting. Within employment, you have agencies, you have consultants, you have full-time employees, you have part-time employees, you have interns, you have apprentices, and all of this fits within employment. And people sort of see outsourcing as one sort of Flavor, and actually, there's the whole spectrum of what you can do. But fundamentally, it's just leveraging, basically finding or choosing your staff from a a pool of eight billion people, as opposed to just sort of hiring locally. Now, can you set up an agency offshore that is a video specialist? I think the outsourcing industry, if you were to generalize, like is you know there's a spectrum, but you do have agencies that are 100% based offshore and why do they even need to mention hey we're based in the philippines by the way like why is the new agency of 2024 not fully based in the philippines where there is a lower cost center but you know marketing and and selling to the us where there's obviously higher earning opportunity and there should not even be a conversation of where they're necessarily sitting or their citizens of what country and so i see that as the next evolution certainly for agencies having the sort of domicile of Hey, we're a US agency, it might be good for branding, but I think it's completely irrelevant for anything else, as long as the quality of work is is there.
1: I think you bring something good up because there are a bunch of these, and I get really frustrated, these VA agencies will help you find it, or here you hire, we train them, whatever. In reality, they're they're just like the old temp agencies that I struggled with <laughs> between one company going under and next company getting bought. And I would work. They get you the worst possible job and then they they bill you out at eighty percent markup and you get pennies to do the work and then you get a bit. There's a lot of these that I think are successful now in getting traction because they're using the concept of Philippine VA or XYZ VA, Latin America VA, on the idea that it's cheap. And yes, cost structure is different. You can hire someone in a local economy that maybe has a much lower financial requirement and a you know desire and be happy with less than you would be paying someone maybe in New York, London, or a larger city. But I think a lot of these new hotshot things are using it from the negative connotation of like, look, it's cheap for us to do this. So you get someone cheap. But Mm. yes, I do see a lot of that Philippine it's It's
0: difficult because yeah, everyone that comes to the outsourcing industry as a client then is very price sensitive and they fundamentally are because there is this fundamental truth that if price was not a concern, I think that everyone would have all of their staff sitting in an office in downtown Manhattan or whatever San Francisco, um, but it's expensive. And so, what are the alternatives? I I think if, if cost was no concern, no no objection, then everyone would do that. There there would be few benefits of sort of spanning across the globe, and. Well, so there is a price sensitivity, but you don't want the focus to be on the price and you don't want them the clients to cut their nose off to swipe of the face to, to hire the two dollar employee and mm-hmm. bump their head against a wall and get frustrated because then they're, they're not performing and you know, you need to pay a proper price. But it's difficult sort of blending those two conversations where yes, this is sort of orientated around price, but you're really looking for quality and deliverables and reliability and scalability and all of these other aspects that is so important for operations.
1: Now, I think it is. I think the one thing I have started seeing, maybe not from, you know, I'm going to keep say, you know, differentiating between New York and London, where I've had offices in the past, and someone who has even a good-sized business in the middle of, I have a friend who... Is in Kentucky and he's not doing a bourbon company, but literally has a distribution company. Does really good. There are certain types of talent he cannot find. And he's historically has gone with agencies, fractional people, just different sources to try and bring in. Just it's overly expensive, cumbersome, and didn't integrate into his team. Over the past few years, seeing that this rise of global talent, that the capabilities, especially in marketing sales, financial roles, HR accounting, those types of things have risen so quickly, all of a sudden he's able to find talent that he can integrate through his team on Slack and through other tools and actually get more output than he was able to. So I think this is one thing that, yes, most people would love to have everyone there and you all hang out and if you drink you go have a beer after work or whatever that is a great experience but business is business sometimes and getting the right talent can make such a huge difference in what you're capable of doing and where you're able to grow your company and there's a lot of places you can't find good talent
0: absolutely the remote issue is a big issue as well as that we have a client where he said about you know, in the US, in the Outback somewhere, a kind of tourist destination, big business, and kind of his business was eating up the entire town. But he was kind of forced to employ anyone that could do a basic job, you know, that, that was able to type. And then he was forced to sort of train them into digital marketing because he had no other resources, no other opportunities. And so you're kind of crowbarring in literally anyone with two arms and two legs that can kind of do a job because that's all that's available. And he then came offshore and realized that, you know, there's actually hundreds of millions of ideal candidates at a cheaper price. And then his business just got sort of super powered because you're not trying to crowbar in anyone that can just sort of turn up to try to learn the job. Like you're actually then employing specialists. And as he said, he was hiring from a talent puddle, not a talent pool. And so it's (laughs) It's, I'm going to steal. Yeah, it. <laughs> it's amazing. There's a lot of different applications for this. Aj, to get us up to speed. So you sold your agency about ten years ago, and then you've been consulting. You have the podcast, Beyond Eight Figures podcast, which is to some extent self-explanatory. Yes. And you are. You've also been on a hunt to acquire an agency. And what is your motivation? Between, I suppose, all of those have similar kind of alignment, but what is your main strategy in terms of your next upcoming
1: acquisition? Well, in looking at this, I realized I was very lucky to sell in the mid seven figures for my last agency. So I can complain, I made a lot of mistakes and I, you know, I always joke, play a little violin, but at the end of the day, I acquired the podcast (laughs) for a Bitcoin for the ability to learn from entrepreneurs who have been successful and how they were in, able to handle a lot of the issues that I had difficulty with my last company. In this, I kind of realized I really did want to start another company or I wanted another company. And in my research, I came across the whole concept of acquire, you know, acquisition entrepreneurship. It's been around forever, but it's kind of beginning repackaged and a little bit cool and sexy right now in certain sectors. A familiar set of actions to take, but repackaged with new cool terms. So I have been on a search to acquire a company. I'm in the middle of what is known as due diligence for a really what I believe is a very interesting 50-year-old local marketing firm. And for me, one of the things that's so interesting is While they do have a very strong, they have a good team, but their approach is very, like they haven't been able to expand their capabilities. They haven't kind of adapted with the change in marketing, the rise of AI, all this fun stuff that's going on right now. One of the fastest ways is not replacing my talent or not my talent yet, but the talent of the company. Not replacing it, but integrating specialists in different areas from wherever they are, and looking at a global talent pool. Um, you know, right now with my own just light consulting that I do, helping people figure out their analytical structure, helping them figure out their marketing strategy. I have strategists that I use, and I've been training for years. So, being able to integrate them, and they're in. Amsterdam, they're in you know, um, one travels all the places. I think right now in Turkey she goes back and forth between Albania Bulgaria, Turkey and a few other places but being able to integrate them into an existing talent pool and being able to then increase the value of what this company can do is one of my main thesis for making this a worthwhile acquisition. It's mm-hmm. like you increase the value for the people you serve. Figure out a way to capture some of that, and you're going to do okay. And the easiest way to increase your capabilities is to add strategic talent. And when you're in the middle, you have a company that's in the middle of nowhere. The best way to do that is to add global talent.
0: And without giving away the details of the company, can you, like what's the outline of the company? It's an agency. What? How many sort of staff does it hire? I assume it. Is it a digital agency? Does it cater to the local town around it? Like, What's the gist? It,
1: it has a national footprint. Its clients are SMBs across the US that have local market, that market to a local community. So yeah. you're not doing Google brand across across the country. You're doing it within a five-mile radius of a plumber. So, it's yeah, they service plumbers, local lawyers, petitions, stuff like that. Very, very, what in the U.S. we would call main street businesses.
0: Got it, got it. And they're kind of, I suppose, taking care of the kind of AT 20 the low-hanging fruit, just getting everything in place, kind of doing the Google local listings, getting up a bit of a website, basic SEO, things like that, yeah.
1: And that's all good and that's a good foundation. But so many small businesses are able to generate extreme amounts of value from having a more aggressive outreach capability. I know more than a few, I've been interviewing, talking, learning, going to conferences just even home landscaping companies that are able to expand to a few communities the amount of money if you look at sort of like customer acquisition and lifetime value of a customer some of the, a residential in some parts of the US is worth 5 to 10k a year with an expected lifetime of 5 to 10 years staying with the typical landscaping before they move people don't change their firms very often for those types of services So it could be a hundred K of value to get a customer. And I think a lot of people, when they look at local marketing, think of it as, oh, well, okay, we show up on Google, yeah, we show on Google maps and maybe a couple of different local search queries. Well, okay, you can, but there's so much value by being more aggressive. And some of these new businesses that are focused on this area really are wanting to be more aggressive. Providing a capability to provide more outreach capability to be able to better understand what's in the audience, what's in their market, and how to better reach out through whatever channel they need, not just a few basics, I think is sort of the opportunity.
0: Got it. I've, I've known a few marketers, marketing agencies, you know, people that own these agencies, and a lot of them I've found get a little bit frustrated because they have all the sort of Tools in the toolbox. And a lot of the people, you know, your local plumber, he's busy with his plumbing and he thinks a lot of your ideas are a little bit wacky, a little bit extreme. So they only go for the vanilla stuff that never really moves the needle. And the agency owners that have all these ideas get kind of frustrated. And, but if they also do win, then the agency owner doesn't necessarily get any of the upside because they're just kind of getting a flat fee. And a lot of these, I've found a lot of these agency owners, they end up building their own brands because they're like, they can make or break these brands. And so they do it themselves. Have you ever had that temptation to go, look, I could <laughs> really nail a home care, uh, sorry, a lawn care company. Why don't I go and do that myself? You know, or, or are you comfortable sort of in the agency and hoping that you can just have a large impact across a wide range of businesses?
1: My main focus is definitely in building this acquisition. That said, I am an investor in other people's searches for their own acquisition, predominantly in ones that are home service focused, landscape companies, roofing, etc. cetera. So yes, I mean, nowhere near even the top three or five sort of goals, but definitely within sort of what i'm hoping in the medium long term is to be able to provide a very high value to partners that i'm invested in just for that mm. size return on it's a way to increase margin in a way that is effective but even getting back i do think yes i think it's like anything else almost any other business in almost everything they just want the basics if you're an HR consultant, if you're a legal, blah, 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 everything is just, I don't want to think about the complexities. I don't want to figure out the nuances of how a little bit of extra thinking can unlock all this extra value. And that's fine. Yeah. And this company does that very well. It's just maybe because I've interviewed now 250 entrepreneurs, not as many as you have, you're way, way ahead of me here. But, um, a little
0: bit, of, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, a little, I mean, bit, a little, yeah, you know, four hundred plus, I four twenty. What did I see? Yeah, really, you're much flies. further. Let's see Yeah, but you very quickly realize that there's a lot of people who just want good enough. But then when you start talking to people who have taken the extra blood, sweat, and tears, the extra time to develop the model, whatever it may be, to go that extra bit, you realize. And I think this is what I am so fascinated by global talent. It's more a question of leverage. And it's this willingness to go further with your use of leverage. And it doesn't mean debt, it doesn't mean any, yeah, you know, it just means the possible. And global talent is becoming a huge leverage, the ability to bring a higher capability to bear on a problem that traditionally was a few people you knew from high school. Yeah, you know, as you said, you hire the people you know and hope they can figure out how to do this versus oh, someone who has 15 years working for a global company doing this but kind of wants a different lifestyle. Well, guess what? This approach to global talent allows for a marriage of that and the creation of outsized mm-hmm. value. And that That's funny, think, is funny, isn't
0: it? You know, like you can, can- Set up like you can acquire this business, you can cut out a lot of your costs by taking your staff offshore, and then you can also benefit your clients by showing them that as well. It's a magic tool in the toolkit, but it should not be <laughs> like it, everyone should know about this. I'm it's still, it still amazes me that with technology, you could really do this kind of outsourcing in earnest in, for about the last 20 years. You know, it was a little yeah. bit kind of cutting edge, but it was possible. But I I just find it amazing that it is still this sort of secret hidden magic tool in the toolbox that can transform people's businesses. And people are still making businesses out of revealing this magic tool when it's out there. It's amazing. But the adoption is just so slow and people are apprehensive. And, you know, I do find it staggering. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, you've been an early adopter, you've seen it and you consult with a lot of people. What do you see on the ground with people resisting or, you know, kind of self-sabotaging this whole offshore thing?
1: It's funny. Like one of my favorite examples is a um, good friend of mine during COVID bought a historic restaurant in New York City. He, ex-private equity guy, had made a good amount of money and, you know, but he still wanted to That was to a bad it. move, he, was it? No. Actually, historical. yeah, it's 100 what are they? They are 170 years old, something like that. They've just had their three best years ever since he's taken over. He is from just a regular business size, took it from about a five million turnover per year. They're approaching nine. and even more importantly, from a couple hundred K to he's probably going to do close to a, a million in free cash flow. So really significant growth profit there. Obviously, a very local... Your whole thing is you need waiters, dishwashers, chefs, cooks, people doing... So the mindset was very there. There was a need to help support marketing and some other initiatives. And that list just kept getting bigger and bigger. We finally was able to just convince him, look, let me just... I'm going to put someone in. I'll sit there on the phone with you, phone, Zoom, and if you don't like him, I'll cover the call. Yeah. It was just like, i it was driving me crazy because he kept saying he wanted to do all this stuff and just didn't. She came in from Georgia. She had worked with a few other restaurateurs in San Francisco and in London. So she understood the business. She lives in, I think for your audience, they would know Georgia as being the country. As American, I always have to go, not the state. Sorry. (laughs) That's right. Global audience. But she's amazing. And what's so amazing is it's not just clearing off a long list of tasks that they had said, oh, eventually we'll get to when we have time. But she's been able to generate new revenue sources by just understanding the business and going out and finding. Basically, she's been able to really help them maximize their private dining room, got them on a bunch of private dining room, search engines. there's micro everything. But like Things that my friend just never even knew existed, and because the reality like that, you know, that all
0: of this kind of work is done from in front of a computer these days, isn't it? You know, whether you're sitting in the restaurant doing it or it's being done from in front of a computer, and there's no reason why that can't be done offshore or done from Georgia or done from wherever the best person for that job is. It's it's just yeah. it's quite small-minded to think that you. They've got a sort of, it's just, I suppose it's changing the frame, isn't it? And people not realizing what can be done remotely.
1: Yeah. Like I said, I think there is so much more and just the tools we're seeing now. I know a lot of my, people. My, were hoping,
0: my prior business yeah. actually was hotels, hospitality in central I London. I had about 250 units. It was about a $20 million revenue business. And we, very early on, we needed 24 7 customer service and realize that actually you can't afford that on a London wage. you know, and, and also, no one in London wants to work night shift to cover the 24-7 customer service. So, I went to the Philippines. Yeah. And then you very quickly realize actually, hey, why am I doing uh, my web development in London? Why am I doing the marketing in London? But then it extended to almost everything. You know, why are you doing the corporate sales? Why are you doing the OTA management, the um, price management? And we actually brought all of it to the Philippines so that actually there, there was the probably 70, 80% of the staff were sitting in the Philippines. And this was fundamentally a brick and mortar kind of business. It was hotels, hospitality in central London. And we had 70, 80% of our staff offshore to the point where our offshore staff were managing the maintenance teams that would go into the units. They were managing the cleaning teams that would clean the units. They would also order all of the soaps and the laundry and all of that. All of that was done from the Philippines. And it's amazing what you can do remotely if you enable it. And then they just become systems and it's neither easier nor harder. It, it just becomes the system. But of course, you save a you know, huge amount compared to a central London team
1: you know you do save a huge amount you sort of also just to give yourself that extra you know i think the mindset you know you were talking about having the 24/7 one thing that i've done for other marketing firms is literally just embedding junior data analysts from philippines thailand vietnam some really good data in data they have a good data program out of whatever the main vietnam university is and It's this ability, and it sounds really silly, but it's really big, of having someone who gets the data and the reports done overnight. So they're available for executives first Mm -hmm. thing in the morning. And they used to get them late in the afternoon, but then they kind of just kind of put them on top of the rest of their pile of things. Just by doing that, I've been, you know, a couple of, you know, the clients I advise and work with, they're like, it makes so much Yeah. yeah, it has helped us focus so much more. And there's nothing really unique other than the time frame. Someone who's living on the other side of the planet can go do this work while you sleep. You wake up and there's their output. And you can use that output right away if it's the appropriate output, obviously. And all of a sudden, instead of like, maybe I'll get to it, it's so much more actionable because most people are a little bit, a little bit more rain to go in the morning than they are in the afternoon. Just that basic use of global talent is just huge.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's huge. And so you're coming back to your agency that you're acquiring, then it's going to close soon, I believe. Like, what are your next steps? (laughs) So
1: we are in, all right, just to kind of geek out a little bit, we're in the early stages of what is known as due diligence. Basically, I have a really great firm, Guardian Due Diligence, so I'll give them a shout out an ex-private equity guy who basically hired a bunch of really smart accountants, they go through the books of the company and they, their main goal, there's a lot of things they do, but the main goal is to just understand the quality of their earnings of this company. So is this an ongoing entity? Can this run itself? Or not run itself like, oh, it doesn't need people, but can this business keep going? Is there any Hidden, hiddens? are there debt that no one is claiming? Have they been juicing the books? Have they done things to make the numbers look better? You know, just to yeah. understand yeah. how strong DD. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, it's scary. Are you scared, like kind of buying into a company? Like, there could be hidden Oof. skeletons. I,
1: I am so excited about the opportunity, but it is a roller coaster. I mean, this is the fun. I mean, we find one thing. And it's like, oh my God, this is a huge, you know, we haven't hit a red flag, but Elliot, the head of the due diligence firm calls them orange flags. We've hit quite a few of those. Right. Mostly they are dealable or okay. That's just not typical, but okay. Understandable. And we just need to then have the lawyers spend a little bit of extra time doing carve out clauses and all that fun stuff to protect the players moving forward. But yeah, it is. It's yeah. And has
0: the process remained? is it kind of adversarial because you want a really good price and they want a really high price and then you come up with all these orange flags? Or is it collaborative? I mean, you both want to get to the end. How how's it been?
1: Well, right now for this deal, I was very lucky that you know I approached it and I initially lost the deal, but they came back to me after realizing the agency, the European agency that they had first accepted an offer from was going to just treat them like ugly stepchildren, where I was having a much more collaborative and this was going to be my main focus, not just, hey, you have some bodies, I'll throw them into the rest of my company. It's been a more collaborative approach, but that's been my approach from the very beginning. So they're mirroring it right now. And also because of this approach, the seller is willing to roll over some of his equities, and also give seller, some seller financing. And we're still defining the full range of all this and what all this means, and the lawyers will get in and kind of sharpen the details. But to a degree, this deal also needs to work for him afterwards. So yes, the more, the best he can do now- Because I assume
0: he's got announcing an callbacks if it doesn't perform yeah.
1: Oh yeah, if it doesn't perform or if there are issues with different parts of the business, there will be contingencies and we're being limited by the type of financing I'm using, so I can't use earnout structures, but I can use other types of revenue stabilize. It. Revenue has to remain the same for a certain period of time, at least the same. It can't shrink. If it does that, he gets extra amounts. Yeah, you know, certain things like that we can put in. But he will be a minority stakeholder after the deal closes. So is he going to be him,
0: employed? Is he going to carry on working? Yeah, company? he's
1: he, he currently is the executive chairman, and he will become an advisor afterwards. Right. right. Interesting.
0: And tell me about Mustaphin. Approximately, how many? How many in the team?
1: Know. It at one point they were well, at their height. They were almost a thousand people. But this is an interesting thing. I'm predominantly buying them for their digital marketing capabilities. At one point, they were one of the larger U.S. Yellow Pages. I think the U.K. You call them Yellow Pages too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were partners, Yellow Pages. They went from selling the ads in it to actually producing, as some of the Yellow Pages were getting out of different markets. They were kind of put together through some private equity shenanigans to go after these areas that were being abandoned from it as sort of a cash cow style approach. That said, they did build this digital marketing capability. So while print has been shrinking at 30% year over year for ever and a day, right. their digital has been... Growing and and stabilizing at this point with the last couple of years of the up and down. um, So how
0: many staff now, roughly?
1: Down to about 40. Wow, that's quite a contraction. No wonder the guy
0: wants out. Okay. And so you could, you know, being, I don't know if this sounds brutish, but are you going to? Bring all of those offshore, like 40. So, looking at numbers, the salary payroll would be about 200 to 300 US, 200 to 300,000 US per month. And you could save 100 to 150,000 US per month, pretty, you know, with certainty. Obviously, you need some sort of they are forward accounting.
1: A, they're a little bit lower on base just because of the location. They are very okay. much in a smaller market in that right. sense. Uh, yes, the cost structure is there, but the first real is I'm actually planning on expanding headcount with more talent. So I will be bringing in, in all likelihood, global talent to expand capability and to really sort bring up what they can do. I think the idea of outsourcing the existing team is not, The initial strategic, it is extending, but I do think we'll be looking at certain back office roles or positions, or I know someone, like I have a friend who has an accounting agency, and he does everything from the bookkeeping all the way up to fractional CFO for companies up to about 20 million, and he cannot find good enough talent just to be able to talk to his clients but he can find great talent globally to do the work mm. so what he's been doing is offering to hire you know, hey do this we'll cut your thing you know we'll your cost for having your accounting bookkeeping etc will be a half to a third of what it is now but we will hire your person they will still work on you but they're going to work on other clients and become so right now my
0: yeah this different voice is going to cap but, yeah. you know you can get very capable front-facing people in the Philippines. You know the oh, Philippines, yeah. you know like the Philippines. Procter and Gamble are here, Nestlé's here, all of the management consultancies are here. Ernst Young is here, J.P. Morgan's here. You've got MBA grads here, you've got Harvard grads here, you've got a lot of management consultants here. You can get very capable, even if you need to pay six thousand bucks a month as a salary. U.S., which is a lot in the Philippines, of course, but you know that might be replacing someone on 200k in the U.S. And yeah. you know it, there's absolutely f- fantastic, capable people. It's a little bit thin as you go into very specialized verticals. It, it becomes a little bit thin, but like any job market, you know it's really difficult to find your prints. Like you've really got to hunt around. It's competitive, but for Fine. sure you can find great people in the Philippines.
1: I think from the Philippines to what I've seen in India, definitely seeing in South Africa. The great thing is that talent level is just increasing. Four or five years ago, it would take a little bit of work to find a front a front office type person. Now, it is. I hired a fractional COO for a while. And Philippines, she had started her own company. She had done this stuff, but she had been backpacking with her boyfriend now husband throughout throughout the world. And she runs, she now runs or her people are the fractional COOs now for about 30 different, I would say upper six to low eight figure size businesses. And she has this business where she just trains fractional COOs for these type of company. Yeah. You know, she's from the Philippines. She came in. It was just more that she wanted to run her own company. She realized she really liked doing the operations. She didn't like the rest of it. So she was just like, Oh, I'll do operations for other people. Mm-hmm. And great work. And it doesn't matter where she's from. So, you know, sure. that's definitely where this talent has sort of, you know, again and again, just every time you turn around, someone's taken on new challenges and push themselves. And in mass that means you get some really great people.
0: For sure. That is huge, huge opportunities. Well, AJ, congratulations. I, I wish you the best with the due diligence. I hope It's painful, so. Thank painful you. process, isn't it? And wish you all the luck with the agency and its regrowth. And yeah, certainly here to help and support you with any offshoring if you need any of that or any advice.
1: Definitely. We'll be bending your ear because I, for sure, so much I've been learning from going to your, yeah. The ultimate guides are great. And that's really, <laughs> that's been a lot of thought provocation. So thank you very much for that.
0: That's great. Yeah. We certainly do a lot of uh, articles. We're big into SEO. So I think we've now got about 15,000 articles. We generate about 4,000 every month. Sorry, 400 every month. <laughs> so it's we have a great team, great content team. AJ, you have a podcast, of
1: course. If anyone wants to listen to the podcast or reach out to you or learn more, how can they do that? First, dot You can Google Beyond A Figures. We're on all the podcast listening platforms of your choice. So please give us a listen. And obviously, LinkedIn is always, for any business or any type of discussion, is the easiest way to reach out to me. And that's just AJ, A period, J period, dot Lawrence. And I usually, you know, i pretty much sure I show up first on that search. So yeah, just give a search on LinkedIn and I'm there. So yeah, please reach out. I would love, I mean, what's going on right now, the more people who are taking it at different approaches or have different types of talent or working with different types of people, it just helps people like me figure out what is possible. So feel free to reach out.
0: That was AJ Lawrence. He is the podcast host of Beyond Eight Figures. Go and check out that. And always, as always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to email us at ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.